you know, there, there's been many a nights, many of times where I've like balls crying to myself of like, oh my God, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, I'd be able to do this. And this is why I like, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, I wouldn't have to depend on somebody to help me or I wouldn't have to depend on being able to, you know, do this or do that, or I could do this or I could do that if I wasn't in a wheelchair or this person would look at me if I wasn't in a wheelchair. Like, like I've had plenty, plenty of times where that's happened. That was Lolo, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 88. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing and one thing only, telling the truth about our lives. No one's trying to sell you anything. I promise that no one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life by offering a 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything. I'm so over that, and I bet you are too. Life is complicated and messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between that makes up life. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, which means that you can often expect to hear adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With this mission in mind, you also won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. The show is 100% listener funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. If you're already supporting the show, thank you, thank you so much. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a truly diverse group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you are saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. As a big thank you, you'll get access to over 30 hours of bonus content with new fun stuff added every month, as well as our community discussion page, our virtual book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I talk about my real life in real time and more. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your support means everything to me. It truly does. And it's what will allow me to continue making new episodes for you as we join together to build a kinder, more open, and more truth-filled world. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Lolo. Lolo is a disability lifestyle influencer and vlogger who runs the YouTube channel Sitting Pretty. 
Sitting Pretty is a series she created to showcase her life as a physically disabled woman in a wheelchair. Her vlogs cover a range of topics from disability fashion tutorials, everyday challenges dealing with society, dating, and her new diagnosis journey. In addition to her own video series, Lolo starred in the comedy sketch Thoughts You Have While Dating in a Wheelchair that was presented by BuzzFeed. She was a featured panelist on the Disabilities Discussion Panel at VidCon 2016, the nation's largest YouTube conference, as well as a featured panelist for the first YouTube Accessibility Summit hosted at the YouTube Space in Los Angeles. Lolo has been featured on a variety of lifestyle blogs, including The Cut Life, and she gave tips on confidence and style as a featured panelist for Curatable at the 2017 Los Angeles Abilities Expo. Her ultimate goal is to give the world an honest perspective of life as a disabled person and dispel myths and stereotypes of how disability lifestyle is perceived and experienced, all the while inspiring fellow disabled people that they too can live a fearless and free life. In this episode, Lolo shares stories about living with a disability and goes deep on everything from how she first handled her ALS diagnosis to what it's like to date when you have a disability and all the everyday truths in between. We talk about the need for more inclusive spaces, why the internet is and isn't real life, how to balance a passion project with a full-time job, and how to deal with negative comments and haters. Her philosophy of, I'm not living for you, I'm living for me, is extremely powerful, and it comes through in this entire conversation. I loved getting to know Lolo, and I hope that you enjoy her stories as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, let's do this. Lola, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm excited too. I, it's funny, I usually don't record on the weekends. And so this feels like kind of a fun treat. I woke up, I mean, today's a Sunday and I woke up and I'm like, it's Lolo day. We get to talk about so many fun things. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I appreciate you uh, wanting to still uh, do the interview on a weekend on my schedule. is like, insane during the week. So I'm really happy we were able to connect and, and find a day that we could do this. It's funny. So when I talk to people, um, either if I meet someone that listens to the podcast or, you know, it's our first time meeting, they'll always say, oh my God, you sound exactly like you do on the show, which of course, cause it's my voice, you know, but you wouldn't hear someone <laughs> out of context. And that's how I feel now that I feel like I've seen so many of your videos and I'm like, oh my God, she's real. She's talking to me. <laughs> I love it. That is hysterical. I absolutely love that. That that's great. So tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. Oh my gosh. Totally obsessed with, you know what? I am starting to get, become obsessed with like smoothies. I'm really like, cause I learned that I'm not really the best at like eating veggies, like on my own, but there was, there's this like boba spot by my job what they make like the best smoothies. They have this kale smoothie. That's like amazing. And then when I realized that it was only like kale, pineapple, apple, and honey, I was like, I can make that at home. So now I'm starting to become obsessive with like making smoothies and wanting to make smoothies so I can like eat my veggies (laughs) in smoothie form. (laughs) 
listen, preaching to the choir, I am also obsessed with smoothies. I remember, man, this was back in 2013. I finally, after lusting over a Vitamix blender forever and not being able to justify how expensive it was, it was like half the cost of my rent at that point, right? And right. I was like, okay, if you make at least a smoothie a day, whatever. And so I, I, I did. I bought it and it was like my big adult, you know, girl purchase or whatever. Right. And oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Smoothies are the best. It's like the best way to sneak in all the things that I probably wouldn't just sit down and eat. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly why I was just like, you know what, if I'm going to be innovative about anything, it's going to be how I ingest my greens. So yeah, no smoothies are literally the best ever. It's like the best way to be super lazy too. Like, oh, I don't even have to chew right. all this. Like, <laughs> the best. Exactly. You know, sometimes you're just like not in the mood to chew. Sometimes you're just like, I just want to drink something. So, you know, instead of alcohol, it's like, let me get this smoothie in, you know? Totally, totally. Um, so, okay, we have to talk about your giant hoop earrings that you wear in your videos. Uh, yes. They're amazing. So. Thank you so much. I, am, I love that. I am also a hoop earring fan. And I'm always curious, people that seem to have really good style like you, I'm curious about sort of the evolution of your personal style. Like, what, what's that been like for you? You know what? It's it's honestly been um, surprisingly kind of difficult. I, you know, I've always been kind of like uh, trying to find this balance between like masculine and feminine energy. Right. Like because I know I'm like a super alpha female. I like say what I want to say, how I want to say it, when I want to say it, give no fucks about anything. And then there's still this part that's like, very girly where I'm like, Ooh, nail polish. And like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, I want my curls to pop today. So I'm like, my style has always wanting to find that good blend of both. And I think as I've become older, I figured out like how to do that where it's like, Oh, I'll wear like baggy jeans with like a pair of heels or like I'll wear chucks with a dress. So it's really trying to like, do that. And so as I become older, for me, like I'm a minimalist. My mentor, she's a disability fashion stylist, Stephanie Thomas. We always have this conversation about what my style is. And she tries to help me. And and she's just like, oh, you're so minimal. And whenever I'm like, I want to wear a yellow shirt today, she's like, oh my gosh, you don't want to wear black? Holy shit. Like, so yeah, usually I'm like, black, gray, navy blue, white, or burgundy. Like, I usually don't go outside of those, but recently I've kind of been trying to add in pops of color here and there. So it's been a little difficult, but I think I've finally figured it out. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I have been working at home alone, I mean, for years and years now, which is great in so mm-hmm. many ways, but it also, it like sort of wrecks you because you never really have to get dressed and you like right. never really have to speak <laughs> to anyone, right? It's like me and my husband and my husband works from home too and our cats. And I'm like, well, I have to get real person dressed like once a week. And you like forget, you like forget how to be a person in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, oh, you mean I should probably wear something besides yoga pants? So I'm always very like right. <laughs> interested. Right. So do you have any tips for someone who wants to develop more? of kind of a signature personal style? You know what? I think the main tip would just be like, really reflect on your personality and finding clothes that match that. Like, 
like I said, I'm really like a straight to the point person, you know, I have all this personality as well. So it's kind of like blending both of those, right? Where it's like, ooh, like I want my heels to be fly and off the hook, but like the rest of my outfit would be simple, you know? So I, I would probably just say like, figure out what your personality is and then just wear the clothes that speak to that or wear the clothes that you know fits your body really well um, and those kind of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for paying attention to just what you're drawn to or curious about. Right, exactly, exactly. Because like I said, normally I wear, you know, black and gray, but sometimes like I'll see an orange shirt and be like, ooh, that is really cute. And then I'll just get it because you know, it just spoke to me and I just had to wear it. So (laughs) yeah, I recently, I feel like I'm always sort of cleaning out my closet. I'm super minimalist with this kind of stuff as well. And I had this moment when I was, you know, putting together the things, you know, to take to donate or Goodwill or whatever, as you do sometimes when you clean out your closet. And some of the things that I'm like, "Ah, why did I buy this? I haven't even really worn this, like trying to also be honest with myself about who was I trying to be that clearly I'm not because once I got this item home, I never, ever wore it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And oh my gosh, if I were to go through my closet now, like I would be like, why do I still have this? Like, what is the point? Like get rid of this already. So I, I do, I'm guilty of having to be honest with myself about what I'm wearing and how often I wear it or if I've worn it too much and it's like, girl, it's time to let that go and like <laughs> re-up on something new. Like, yeah, no, cleaning right, up like the closet is therapy. Is holding it at this point. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> right, so exactly. Funny. It's like that has a stain that never went away like you thought it would. So just like let it go at this point. So yeah. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. So, okay, so going back in time, um, yes. I want to talk a little bit about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Stockton, California. So it's, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's, it's, it's one of those towns that is like, technically it's big, but because nothing really goes on in the town, it's not like an LA where everything is so exciting. It feels really small. It's like one of those, one of those cities, but, um, you know, it's home. So it's, it's an interesting place. (laughs) How would you describe your childhood? Um, I would say it was really fun. Like I, I come from a musical family. So everyone in my family is a musician. We sing, we dance, we act, we, you know, play an instrument, like literally all the time. And I come from a big family. My mom is one of eight. So whenever we get together, it's like loads and loads of people. And then you add on the friends that tag along with the family. So it it was always just fun and, and exciting and just full of life for sure. So it's not a uh, far stretch that you wound up doing what you do now with your YouTube channel, right? A natural performer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like literally it's just right there in that vein. I'm just like the millennial version of like what the rest of my family does. <laughs> right, what everyone else was doing when they're before the internet. I love it. That's so right. Funny. It, exactly. Exactly. But just like I'm taking advantage of the technology that they didn't have. So. Totally. So if you have to think back on, let's say, like the values that you were raised with, mm-hmm. what was really important? What were you taught was important? Ooh. Um, something that was important was definitely like, 
like just the the core of family. Like if there's nobody else that's going to be there to support you and love you, family will. So because I wasn't really raised with like um, kind of like sayings per se. Like my mom has this really funny saying that's so ridiculous, but it's like kind of smart when you think about it. She always says, don't let the sun fool you. And it's kind of, she means it in the literal sense. Like when we would grow up, like if the sun was out, but it was like still November, she would be like, don't let the sun fool you. So we would know to still dress in layers, right? Because it's still November, it's going to be cold, but the sun is out. So But if you like really think about what she's saying, it's kind of deep because it's like, don't let the glitz and glam or the shine or the brightness of life fool you. Like sometimes there's some real cold things that are happening um, in a person's life, too. So it's always kind of like for me, I always took it as like a way to like remain humble because, you know, you just never know what a person's going through. It's kind of like a way of um, understanding the next person's journey. Um, and things like that. And then um, another thing regarding relationships is my grandparents, before my grandmother passed away, they were married for 60 years. Wow. And my grandparents used to always say, like, you have to have a friendship first. And that, you know, um, like, if you don't have, like, they they would always say kind of stuff like, you know, eventually the sex is going to stop. So you have to have a friendship in order to keep it, you know, to make it last, you know. So those kind of things kind of remain, you know, on the top of my head as far as like family values and stuff. And then it's just, you know, just simple, you know, love people and and um, and just understand and, and you know, just be open to other person people's way of living and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember having any specific kind of career dreams when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I always wanted to be a journalist. There's actually this really funny video of when our grandparents took because, you know, when you're when you're in a family that your parent is one of eight, you have like millions of cousins that end up being like basically brothers and sisters to you, too. So we went on this trip to the Grand Canyon And, uh, we were, my grandpa used to have this huge suburban and as grandkids, we always say, we want to go in the very, very back, which is technically the trunk without the third row of seat in it. And we would all be back there. And there's this funny video where my uncle, he's like recording us as kids. And he's just like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a reporter. And so it just, you know, and then when I um, moved to L.A., uh, my original major was journalism. And then I learned how to edit video because we had to put together like a video version of a story that we reported on. And I fell in love with editing, which then turned into a TV production major. And then here we are on YouTube editing and and recording stuff. That's funny. What was it about (laughs) journalism that you were interested in? You know, I think it's just wanting to learn people's stories. I mm-hmm. was just like, fast. I, one of the first stories, and it's funny cause I don't even really remember it that well, but I remember at the time researching it for a project, it was a story of, um, William Randolph Hearst and like his whole empire. And I was just like fascinated by that. And I've always loved asking questions and listening 
to, you know, people's stories and figure out how people are intertwined. Like one of my favorite things to do now is like listen to podcasts and interviews. Cause you know, like now all the radio shows and the podcasts, they, a lot of them have the video component too. Right. So I like, like, watching the interviews and especially when it comes to like music industry and movie industry stuff and how people like remember meeting each other like way way back in the day on the come up and then now they're all like successful at what they do so I'm just always fascinated about people's stories oh my gosh I mean me too clearly right like having this podcast (laughs) I feel like like the podcast or this podcast is it's essentially like a secret I mean a secret weapon to make friends with cool people for sure don't don't let me pretend otherwise but it's also I don't know it's I'm naturally inclined to want to ask people a lot of really personal questions, which like sometimes yeah. is not appropriate. So this is basically right. my way of being like, well, you're on my podcast. <laughs> like, this is my excuse to just ask a lot of personal questions. So, Right. No, I, I, I love it. And, and I think I like being asked questions too. So it, it, I don't know, it's something about questions and like getting to know people and understanding people's lives. Like it's, it's it's really fascinating, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and I really like the specifics of people's stories because I think it's in that way that we kind of learn what's different about each other. But like the core yes. themes of everything, it's the same. Like it's so funny yeah. how we think, you know, I'm the only one who's afraid that people don't like me or whatever. No, like everyone, right? Everyone no, feels you're that. definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so okay, so here's a question: What it, what's something that you wish that people were more open and honest about? Mm. I think it would be just how they truly feel. I think at the end of the day, you know, um, I, I read a book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. I don't know if you've ever read it or not. I have, yes. And, and as you, well, okay, now that you read it, you know, like how phenomenal of a book it is. And, you know, really realizing that there's strength and vulnerability. Um, I think if people just simply knew, one, knew what it was that they were feeling within themselves, right? Because I feel like a lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, I'm mad about this or, or, you know, oh, like I always like to use anger as an example, right? Because technically anger is a secondary emotion. I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday about this. But, you know, anger is a secondary emotion, right? Because the reason why people are angry is because of an initial feeling. It's like they're angry because technically they're really embarrassed. They're angry because technically they really got their feelings hurt. So, if people really knew what those core feelings were and weren't afraid to just share those with others, I think, you know, uh, people would be able to connect uh, on a, a deeper level and a more, um, uh, just like a personal level to where everyone could relate. Like, oh, like, I feel that same way too. Now we can start to get to know each other, you know? So. 
Absolutely. I, I would definitely yeah. say that. Yeah. I, I would definitely say that. I agree. I think that reminds me of a question that I was asked uh, in an interview once a long time ago um, mm-hmm. about something that I either wish that I could teach my younger self or that I wish I would have learned kind of in school or growing up. And I don't remember exactly what my answer was, but it was something around the idea of kind of emotional intelligence or being able to even recognize, yes. like we're not taught, or at least I was never taught how to, you know, discern the difference between, you know, hurt or embarrassed, like you said, or loneliness, or, you know, that it's just kind of like, I feel bad. Right. And being able to get that clarity on, you know, first of all, how you're actually feeling. And then it's funny, it reminds me something that my husband and I do a lot or that we're working on is trying to kind of keep space for the other person in a way that's like, it's okay to be sad, right? Like, I think we have these, exactly. right? We have these feelings sometimes of like, oh, I'm in a bad mood. And like, I'm supposed to try to get out of it as quickly as I can, or that we're really apologetic. Like, I'm really sorry that I'm feeling kind of sad and quiet today. And, you know, he has to remind me it's okay to be sad. I have to remind him it's okay to not want to talk for a while, right? That it's just, so exactly. funny. it's not something that we're usually, I don't know that we usually are taught. Right. No, uh, seriously. And, and it's really unfortunate. Like I literally have seen literally have seen it with my own two eyes, like somebody who was trying to express themselves, but person was like, just nagging at them to where they completely shut down. Like you see their whole body language change. And it was really like, wow, that is really unfortunate that somebody has to shut down in that way. And that it's okay to not agree. It's okay to you know, not feel your best or your most confident. Like, it's okay. Everyone, like, relax. <laughs> like, you know, that, that that's kind of, um, yeah, like, that emotional intelligence is just so important. And it's so, um, like, for me, like, when people say that they're lonely, to me, it's not, I think that's also another one of those emotions that kind of gets thrown around, without taking into real context of what it really means to feel lonely or like when people are like, Oh, I feel depressed. Here's the thing. Depression is real. <laughs> let like you, just because you feel sad, doesn't mean you're necessarily depressed. Like there's people I know that are clinically diagnosed with depression and oh, yeah, it's that's not me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's not anything that you just throw around. So sometimes I even feel offended when I know that like, that's not the case for a particular person, but like they're just whimsically just being like, oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm lonely. It's like, no, you're not. Don't do that because it's real for other people. And, you know, really tap into what you're really trying to say. Like maybe you're not really lonely, but right now you're just not getting attention because you haven't gotten in in a while or something like that. You know what I mean? Like really be aware of your emotional intelligence because it's really something that people, you know, have to go through and have to deal with. And so I think, yeah, emotional intelligence is something that people really should be more cognizant of, uh, of what it is. And then being brave enough to express their truth of what that, um, emotion is. Yeah, sure. So what helps you to get in touch with, you know, kind of the root of how you're feeling? Are you someone who keeps a journal or what works for you? You know, I, I definitely keep a journal. I'm definitely a a journal girl. I have like so many journals around my room. It's disgusting. Um, (laughs) but, um, but also, 
um, kind of practicing with other people, just kind of expressing myself, um, whether it's through my YouTube, um, with close friends or family, you know, people that I really, really trust, um, you know, reading books about it and just learning more and more about it. And then just really knowing that at the end of the day, you know, it's my life. I am me. So if expressing how I'm going to feel or what it is that I'm really feeling at the end of the day is going to make me feel better, then I'm all here for it. I'm really just like, you know, sitting in silence is another one where I'm like, and and not even as I do meditate too, but like even outside of meditation, just sitting with myself and just talking to myself out loud, like, and just being around my room or in the kitchen or in the living room, just having at it just with myself and my thoughts and my emotions. And then, you know, really recognizing and pausing and being like, okay, you're feeling this way. Why are you feeling this way? And then I just go through the whole story in my head and saying and speaking it out loud. And then when I'm speaking it out loud, it's like, okay, I really hear what I'm saying. And then therefore I'm like, oh, you're mad because, you know, someone bumped into you. Okay, well, maybe that person was having a bad day. I don't know what that person is going to. Maybe they honestly didn't see you and just bumped into you. That's an honest mistake. Like we can't blame people. For this. And then that's when I kind of like calm down and I'm like, okay, it's fine. I- I'll be okay if somebody bumps into me, you know? <laughs> so yeah, th- th- yeah, those are kind of like the the steps that I go through. Yeah. I love that. So switching topics a little bit, mm-hmm. would you share the story of how you came to be in a wheelchair? Yes. Yes, of course. Um, so um, I was diagnosed with ALS Lou Gehrig's disease when I was 14 years old. Um, and so throughout high school, um, so basically ALS is like a neuromuscular disease. And they say that, um, you know, it's a disease where the messages from your brain that go to your spinal cord to tell your body to move, the disease attacks those messages. And therefore, over time, your body and muscles, you know, um, lose muscle strength and muscle mass until, you know, transition. But, um, you know, so as I was going through high school, I went from being able to really like walk to having to wear like leg braces that help lift my foot. So I wasn't constantly tripping over my feet because, um, my foot doesn't have the strength as much as it did at that time, uh, to lift, to, you know, make steps. So, um, then by the time senior year came, we, there was a trip called grad night Disneyland where all the high school seniors from all over California would go to Disneyland at one time. And so it was a trip that I was like, uh, I have to go. Hell no, I'm not going to miss this. But how am I going to get around Disneyland? Because <laughs> um, I know I would just exhaust myself if I only had to use my leg braces. And so the school nurse um, was like, well, are you open to using a motorized chair? We can have it in a van, you know, follow the bus with you guys. Cause again, you know, I'm from Stockton. So going all the way down 
down to Anaheim is like a seven hour, eight hour drive. So, um, you know, they were like, we could put it in a van. Once you guys get to grad night, um, you could just use the chair and have your mobility throughout the park. And so, um, so I did it that night and I had the best time of like my life as a teenager, you know, me and my friends, it was new to us. So like my friends were hopping on the back and we were like zooming down like the park. We were able to cut the line because again, this was the first time I'm using a chair. So I didn't know I got front of the line access. So the people that worked Disneyland were like, no, 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 you come this way. So me and my friends were like, bet, like we were on all the rides we wanted to get on. You know, people were just super open and having fun, you know? And so when it was time to, um, go to college, the same thing kind of came up where it was like, well, my leg braces, I'm going to wear myself out. So let me use a wheelchair. And honestly, I've been using a wheelchair ever since. So I still have the ability to stand and walk short distances, distances like around my apartment. But like the moment I go outside, I just get in my chair because, you know, I, I know I would physically exhaust myself otherwise. So what was the process like in kind of the, I don't know, the first few months of adjusting after the diagnosis? What was that like for you? You know, um, it's interesting because, because I was so young, I was only 14. Um, I didn't, I didn't think about it, which is so, and it's so funny, you know, whenever I'm asked this question, because I always get taken back into that time. Like, like, why wouldn't you take this seriously? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, this is real, you know, but I honestly, I was just still a kid. So I was like, whatevs. All right. I got to use these leg braces now. Cool. Now I'm not tripping over myself. You know, now I got to find shoes that work with my leg braces. Oh, great. Another excuse not to go to class because I have a doctor's appointment. This is awesome. Like literally that was my, my mind frame. And so, and it was something new to my entire family because there's nobody else in my family that has a disability. There's nobody else in my family that was ever physically ill at all. So to all of us, we, none of us knew what it was. So we all just were like, okay, well, if she needs something, we'll help. If she don't need it, she's fine. Um, cool. And and that's literally what it was like for me. I was just kind of just still living and, and going about it in a 14 year old kind of way. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, so was there a point in the years since where that changed or has that just been sort of consistently your attitude? Honestly, it's consistently been my attitude. Obviously, you know, as I've gotten older, I've learned like a little bit more about it. But to me, anytime I would read like stats or exactly what it was, um, I, I just knew it wasn't my life. I knew it wasn't my future of, of, you know, what they say happens to a person with ALS. I just always knew, like, I would read, like, just a paragraph and be like, no, hell no, that's not me. I don't even want to put this into my psyche anymore. Like, let me go, you know, watch a video on YouTube or something. Like, it, it literally, and, you know, maybe to some degree, it's denial, I don't know, but it's been working. So I'm cool with it. Like, you know how they say, you know, ignorance is bliss. Maybe for me, it's, you know, it, that's it for me. Like the, I know enough to answer the questions, 
But like if people were to try and like pry or figure out like, you know, deeper of what this is to me, like I honestly wouldn't have an answer because I'm like, I don't even I don't harp on the diagnosis as much as I focused on wanting my life to just be better for myself and being happy in the process of it. Yeah, no, I I mean, I love that. And I so appreciate the honesty of that because I think that it's very, it's really easy to get stuck, like making something our identity when it doesn't have to be. Exactly. Exactly. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not so up in the clouds where I'm like, oh, I don't have to use a wheelchair. It's just like, no, obviously I do. Like I'm not, not aware of what's happening within my body, but it's also something like just because I have ALS doesn't mean my whole life like is about, you know, the ALS process. And then like, even recently I'm, I technically maybe have, may have been misdiagnosed. So at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, look, you know, I, I'm a really spiritual person. So for me, I'm like, God is the one that's in control at the end of the day, no matter what people are people, doctors are doctors, they have their stats in their books and everything else, but there's nothing man as in human being can tell me about when it's my time to transition. Like, no, like you don't tell me that God is the one who makes that decision. So therefore I'm just going to, you know, rock this bitch until the wheels fall off, you know, (laughs) literally, (laughs) right. Literally. Um, is that, were you raised in kind of religious, you know, household with a lot of faith or is that something you came to as an adult? You know, I was definitely raised, you know, stereotype Christian as far as, you know, go to church every Sunday, you know, be a part of, you know, children's church or whatever. But as I've gotten older, I've learned the difference I've kind of learned what religion is versus kind of like the spiritual aspect of it. So now as an adult, I've leaned more into the spiritual part of what religion is all based off of. Right. Because I kind of look at religion as this thing where, you know, some people like Adidas more than they like Nike. That's their preference. That's kind of how I see religion. But at the end of the day, all religion, no matter what, is based on this higher power that is bigger than all of us, that is control of everything. Just different people interpret what that means in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. So for me, I just kind of am more focused on my relationship spiritually with the higher power than I am the do's and don'ts of what, you know, the the bible says or whatever other um literature says so yeah sure well yeah uh, going back a little bit to um you know what you were saying about obviously you know not ignoring your diagnosis or any limitations but not choosing to overly focus on them i find that to be i don't know really empowering just when what i want to say thinking about how we often think there's, you know, one correct way to react to something, whatever that thing is. And right. I, it's always really, I think, important to hear that different people treat things differently, right? Or that I'm choosing not to make this my whole life. And that that's, I don't know, that's very real to me. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no, of course. And I think that's kind of like why, um, and I think, that, not even think, I know that's why, you know, I like to share my story via my YouTube or, you know, an interview or just talking to somebody on the street is because it really is one of those things that I've 
kind of fell upon learning is like, you know, we, we make this life exactly what we want it to be. So, you know, make your choice (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. So tell me about the day that you decided to start your YouTube channel. Oh, so, uh, what happened with that is, so I work, you know, full time. And at the time I had uh, a previous supervisor, my current supervisor is absolutely incredible, like just the best, but the previous supervisor I had, mm, let's just say, you know, maybe we just didn't have the same visions. Right. So, um, she had brought me into her office and had complained about something that I was doing. Not that I wasn't doing my work, not that, you know, I wasn't doing my work on time. It was how I was doing my work that she had a problem with, which really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and so, uh, when I went home that night, I, you know, called my mom and I was like, mom, I just don't like the fact that somebody else has control over how I should be doing something. I don't like that. And I don't like the fact that this person has control of my livelihood. Like if she really wanted to be a mean person, she could have fired me. And then I would know how I would have been able to pay my rent the next month. I don't like that. So I need to do something about that. And so my mom was like, well, what can you do that would, would make you feel better? You know, what, is something that you feel you could have control over and yet um, be productive in the process. And so, you know, I sat on it and, and really thought about that. And I was like, you know, I have this degree in TV production. I love to edit. You know, I love, you know, movies, TV, all of that stuff, you know. And I went like kind of over the top and was like, make a TV show? But then I was like, make a TV show. I was like, oh, wait, I can kind of do that on YouTube. And then I was like, well, what can I talk about? And it like hit me. And I was like, myself, because people over the years have constantly told me, you got to tell your story. You got to tell your story. You got to tell people. You got to write a book. Tell your story. Tell your story. And for me, a book wasn't quite the medium that attracted me the most, Um But when it hit me like, oh, tell your story on YouTube, I was like, light bulb. And so I started doing that. And when I started making my videos and started getting the responses and the messages, I was like, oh, my gosh, people love this. Like, I'm going to keep going. Like, people are really seeing life the way that I see it. Like, you know, and then as it just started to grow, more and more people were digging it. More and more people were learning. And and now I'm here and it's really turned into something that I wanted to do in order to make myself feel better about what I was doing with my life and to really figuring out like, this is my purpose. This is why God is having me where I'm at at this time in my life and being able to, you know, um, share it in the way that I'm sharing it. Yeah, so absolutely. And I mean, obviously, your your YouTube channel is how I found you. So totally. Um, Love it. So the collaboration that you did with BuzzFeed, Thoughts You Have yes. While Dating in a Wheelchair. First of all, I love that so much. It was hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you. when you were creating that video, were there any mm-hmm. sort of best or worst dating stories from your own life that you were pulling from? Like, how did that come to be, this idea of thoughts you have while dating in a wheelchair? 
Well, um, the director and producer of the video, Daisha Veronica, she, um, she, you know, when, when I met her, she was, she's a content creator for Buzzfeed. So when I met her, we just started vibing and talking and stuff. And she saw, you know, she checked out my channel and was like, you know, you do a lot of stuff with dating. There's actually this thing we do on Buzzfeed, um, called, you know, they, they're called like thoughts video. So they have a whole bunch of these, like, you know, thoughts you have when your ex gets a new girlfriend. Right. And then thoughts you have when you're at a dog park or something like that. Right. And so, um, and so she was like, that would be dope if we could do like a thoughts you have on a date as a person in a wheelchair. And I was like, girl, oh my gosh, I have all the thoughts in the world. And so I really started to tap into like, okay, if I was going on a date, what are the things that I think about before, while I'm on the date, and then after the date? And I just kind of tapped into what I go through kind of every single time. You know, there wasn't really like a specific dating experience that made me change, but be, when you are a person um, with a disability, especially, with one that's in a wheelchair, you know, there are just certain overarching things you have to think about um, when, you know, going into a situation like a date. And so those were the thoughts that I wanted to make sure that I tapped into, right? Because, like, for me, it's like, that. yeah, some, some thoughts were kind of, like, really specific to me. Like, ooh, what hair care products am I going to use today because I really want my hair to, like, be really curly. But that's not anything that's general to a person that's in a wheelchair. So those were kind of, like, the thoughts that I wanted to make sure I hit on um, when creating the video. Why is it important to you? Because I know that you do talk about dating a lot um, in your videos. Why is that something that you really want to talk about publicly? Because there was a time in my life where I felt I was ignored or that I wasn't desired because I was in a wheelchair. And then there was just like a day that clicked for me that I was like, fuck it. You know, people are going to like me for who I am. You know, and if they don't like me, oh, well, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world. And so I wanted to share kind of like what that meant. And once I really tapped into that level of confidence, it's like raining men now, like these guys coming out of nowhere. And I'm like having the time of my life, like dating and meeting people. And, you know, because I went through this really just oh, annoying part of dating, right? Because, like, I'll be 30, you know, in July. So, you know, that whole period from, like, 19 to, like, 29, right? Where it's like, what the fuck is going on? What does it mean when he says this? And what do you do when this happens? And all these things. And then on top of that, adding the fact that I'm a person in a wheelchair, it's just like, you know, it was, it was just a lot. And so now that I figured out what's been working, you know, for me, um, I wanted to make sure that I shared that and really shared that, you know, it's not our disabilities that makes people unattracted to us. 
It's just we're not going out there feeling confident because we're insecure about our disability. But if we flipped it, then people would be on to us. I'm a huge believer in the law of attraction. You know, what you put out there into the energy, into the universe is exactly what you're going to draw to yourself. And that is something that is not just specific to a specific type of people. It's no matter who you are, where you're from, where, how you grew up, what you believe, whatever, that is going to work any and every single time. So I just really wanted to um, to share that and let people know that you can be loved. You can be desired. You are desired. You are loved, you know, as a person with a disability. So, yeah, because that's also like a topic that we don't see, right? Like in media, it's always these fairy tale stories of like, you know, able-bodied people and all these things. It's just like, but you never see what that looks like from the per- from the perspective of a, a person with a disability. And so, I really wanted to share the the that, and I wanted to be real about it too. Like, I didn't want it to sound like this fairy tale thing. Like, nah, nah, nah. This is what's happened to me before. This is what either continues to happen or whatever. But, you know, here's how you can maneuver your way through that. Well, yeah, I mean, I know that you give a lot of awesome kind of dating tips and advice and stuff, especially around the uh, kind of realm of online dating, you know, with a disability. I'd love for you to share some of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a person with a disability, right, you know, I'm going to act like people in public, you know, okay, okay. Let me start from here. So there was a conversation I had with my friend, right, where I was kind of explaining to her. I was really frustrated and I was just like, you know, no, you know, men don't approach me in person. Men don't want to talk to me in person. And I really feel like it's my chair. Like I feel so invisible and like nobody thinks that, you know, I'm a good person and all of these things and nobody's looking at me. And she was just like, well, here's the thing. People are looking at you because people don't see those with disabilities often, right? Like a majority of the world is able-bodied. So naturally, if you look unique, people are going to look at you. So don't think that people aren't looking at you. It's what you have to focus on when they do, right? And so that kind of was like a light bulb for me, like, oh, people are watching. So now I got to give them something to look at in a sense. You know what I mean? So- for uh, so for me, I'm aware that people are looking at me in person, but I'm also aware that there's an intimidation that comes with approaching a person in a wheelchair. So, in that sense, that's how I know like a lot of people with disabilities may not um, get approached in public. But online, we don't have to worry about that. But online, you also are dealing with a whole different gamut of people (laughs) because, you know, they're hiding behind screen names, right? So um, as a person with a disability, I know that online dating is like the number one place that we go to in order to build a relationship with others and intimate conversations with others because in person, people are intimidated, but online, 
they don't have to be intimidated. They can get their questions out. They can feel the way that they feel and say what they want to say, because at the end of the day, it's still only a screen name and I'm not forced to have to do this technically face to face. And so, um, so I know online dating is just kind of the place that people with disabilities go to in order to build, um, those relationships. So that's kind of why I, I focus on, on that realm of dating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I know that another part of, I don't know if your mission, if that's the right way to say it, but another part of your mission is to dispel Mm -hmm. some of the myths and stereotypes of living with a disability, which I love. I love when people are willing to just be like, let's talk about this thing that maybe other people don't talk about, right? Right, right. So absolutely. I'd love to hear what you think some of the most common, maybe even the most damaging myths are. Like what, if there's anything that you're like, I want to dispel this, this, and this, like what are those things? Um, I would definitely dispel the myth that, um, people feel like they can't talk to people with disabilities. I don't know what that's about. Like I, it, it, it's really mind boggling, honestly, but like, um, like just dispel that myth that you can't go with a disability. It's almost like people feel like, hi, how are you is going to be offensive to us when it's like, it's, it's not like we're, we're, we're humans first, people. <laughs> we're people first. We just get around different. That's it. Like, if you approach us like, hey, what's up with that wheelchair? Of course we're going to get offended because it's just like, you're an asshole. You didn't even ask me what my name was first. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. So, I, w- I would definitely say the, the number one thing to dispel is, like, we can be approached it's okay to approach us. It's okay to want to be our friend. It's okay to want to go out with us. It's okay that you're attracted to us. It's okay that you're sexually attracted to us. It is okay. As long as we're not fetishized, it's fine. Otherwise, it's all good, people. So that that's the the number the number one thing for sure is just dispelling that, you know, that we can't be approached in person for whatever reasons that society feels they have to drum up. That's really interesting. I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but I, it wouldn't have been that. So that's interesting to hear. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know what I thought you were going to say, but that, that wasn't it. So I love that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I love that. Yeah. I think cause that's the, that's the, that's the number one thing that I, I know you know, talking with other people with disabilities and stuff is just like people feel like they can't, you know, they feel we feel like the world doesn't want to approach us. And it's just like, for what? Like, stop, like, relax. Everyone relax. It's fine. <laughs> It'll be OK. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned before kind of offhand the like, don't come up to me and be like, what's with the wheelchair? Right. Like, There's probably a lot of that right. too, of like things not to say. Like, Just don't say that. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Like I did a whole episode on my channel, like things not to say. And, and, you know, when you read the comments, there's so many other people that could relate to it and then they add their own thing, you know, but yeah. And, and and that's kind of where the frustrating part about it comes from, right. Is because we want to educate people about disabilities and we want, you know, people to be comfortable, but it's like, there's also the, the part of the able-bodied community to be responsible, you know, be mindful of what it is that they're saying or what they're doing, you know, like 
you, like what like that's the thing that I, as you can tell, it's just something that's so mind-boggling because I can't even get the words out. That is just really like, why would you just come up to somebody and be like, hey, what's up with that? Or like, you know, I I don't know. Just it's it's just like, come on, be be mindful of what you're doing. Like, don't be an asshole about it. Like, we're st- again, we're people first. We have feelings first. So like, don't be jerks just because you're curious. So yeah, yeah. it's it's really strange. It's really strange. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, there's so much in this topic that we could talk about, right? That we could do right, into. exactly, exactly. That the, the, all the trouble that comes from othering someone, right? When you start to think of right. them as, and of course, we all are different and we all are similar. But when you start to think of, oh, this person's so different from me that I can't even approach them, or I would have no idea what to say. Well, how do you talk to people? It's just a person, right? So yeah, I think exactly, I can see that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, this might seem like a, kind of a strange pivot or a strange thing to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, so we, you mentioned before about depression, you know, so mm-hmm. for me, I sometimes get stuck wishing away my depression, like getting mm-hmm. stuck in the trap of like things would be so much better if I didn't have to deal with this, right? Or that kind of right. thing. It's almost like I've internalized the kind of stigma or oppression of mental illness and like believe that I would be better if I were different, right? Like if my brain were different. Right. And right. I know, I'd love to hear your own experience with that. Like I remember you said something in one of your videos um, that sort of, uh, I think it was like quoting someone else's question, this idea of like, well, how the fuck is she still happy? Right? Like that this, right? like how to find joy and sort of accept your full self. I'm curious what that has been like for you. You know, it, it's, it's definitely been, been a journey. You know, there, there's been many a nights, many of times where I've like, bald crying to myself of like, oh my God, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, I'd be able to do this. And this is why I like, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, I wouldn't have to depend on somebody to help me, or I wouldn't have to depend on being able to, you know, do this or do that, or I could do this or I could do that if I wasn't in a wheelchair or this person would look at me if I wasn't in a wheelchair. Like, like I've had plenty, plenty of times where that's happened. And, you know, I've vented to my mom or vented to close friends about it and, you know, to myself or in my journal, you know, so I've definitely, definitely, you know, and and every once in a while back to that, like, damn, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, blah, 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 blah. But I just really, again, tap into my spirituality of like, well, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, if I was not supposed to be in a wheelchair, I wouldn't be because that's just the way God works. Right. Like he, like he, she, whatever, however people want to, you know, interpret or internalize him is like, that's just the way he works. Everything happens for a reason. If I wasn't in a wheelchair, I wouldn't have my YouTube. I wouldn't have a message. I would, I probably wouldn't even have a a per- this purpose in life. Like I believe every person has a purpose in life, no matter who you are, but I probably would be going through a whole bunch of different people body things that happen that maybe I am getting spared from happening because I'm in a wheelchair. Right. So it's kind of like, even for example, we even use dating. Like if somebody dates me, it's because they really want to date me. It's not because my ass is fat. It's not because I have huge tits. It's not because I, you know, 
can do this or that or because I'm a great cook or this and this or whatever men fucking think a good woman is. It's simply because they really like me because dealing with the person or being in a relationship, I don't want to say dealing, that was wrong choice of words, but being with a person with any type of illness or disability, you have to be a special type of person to even begin with. So you really kind of navigate those through society of like, if people really want to rock with you, they really want to rock with you. And so I, I kind of tap into all the things that are great and what I have benefited from as a person with a disability and do my best to focus on those things. But yeah, no, I, I've definitely had plenty, plenty of times where it was like, if I wasn't in a wheelchair, then my life would be so much better. But it's like, would it really? Would yeah, it really? Yeah. I mean, in, <laughs> at the end of the day, I feel like what I tell myself is like, that's just not a productive thought train, right? Like that's not, where is that going to go? Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause it's not going to change really not to my knowledge, unless God wants to turn me into um, another form of a miracle. I'm with that too. Not saying that I'm not open to it, but I'm just saying like, look, this is what it is now. It is what it is. Whatever. We make the choice. My biggest thing in life is about choices. We either make the choice to think or do this or we make the choice to think or do that. But whatever your choice is, you can't be upset at the consequence of it. You just keep going. And then once you figure out what the result of that choice was, you decide to make the next choice. You either do this or you do that. And that and that's really how I do my best to, you know, go through life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like, I mean, you seem to be really confident. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would say that for sure. I'm still working on it. I'm not where I think I want to be yet, but I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm on my way. Okay. So, <laughs> so what do you mean by that? Where do you want to be? You know, I, <laughs> it's, I, I want to be to the point where I don't second guess myself about anything that I'm doing or how I'm doing it. Like at this point, and I don't even know if that's even possible technically as human beings, I don't even know if that's possible, but you know, I feel like every time, not every time, but I still have moments where I'll get into a situation and I'll second guess myself. Should I do this? Should I do that? Am I supposed to do that? Was that too aggressive? Did I say enough of that? Is it blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go through the spiral. And then that's when the insecurities start to kick in. Well, look, you know, you're in a wheelchair, so maybe you shouldn't do it like this. And whoop, and then I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, stop, stop, stop. You're thinking too much. You're thinking too much. <laughs> Just really focus on what's happening. And then that's when I'm like, you know what? I am who I am. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. If somebody don't like it, all the fuck well. It is what it is. I like it about what I'm doing. And I go through it. As long as I know my intention is never malicious and my intention is not, you know, to offend, you know, then, you know, I'm going to do it. And that, and, and, and and so I really want to get to that point where I'm like, I don't even second guess anything that I'm doing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I would also like to be there. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Right. That's why I said, I'm like, I don't even know if that's really possible, but like, I'm going to work on it. If even just working on it, whether it's possible or not, even if it's just working on it 
to get to that point is good enough for me. So yeah. Well, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, believing in the power of choice, right? And the more that we believe that that's true, the more it sort of puts us in the position of having to own our choices. And the more that we can do that, I feel like the more confident we are, right? When you remember, oh, wait, I actually chose this and I chose this on purpose. So I need to stand in that. Exactly. Literally, exactly that. It's like, uh, you know, back to the online dating thing. It was like the day that I chose to show a picture of me in my wheelchair on my dating, my online dating profiles, and then mention the fact that I was really in a wheelchair, right? Because you would get those messages. Are you really in a wheelchair? It's like, no, I'm really here. I didn't just do this for a photo shoot, weirdo. I like, this is, this is what it is. Um, it changed everything. It, in a weird kind of way, made me more confident because it was like, I ain't got nothing to hide. I ain't got nothing. Not that I was ever hiding it, but I just wasn't confident at that time putting a picture up of me in my wheelchair. But now that I made the choice, it's actually made me more confident because I'm like, look, again, either you're going to rock with me or you're not. And if you're not, I ain't trying to deal with you no way. I don't even want you in my life lingering, trying to figure me out. No, go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, it almost, it's funny. That makes me think of, uh, I know this isn't the same, but it makes me think of mm-hmm. um, throughout my sort of, career of doing story sharing on the internet, which has been blogging and podcasting and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been open, you know, using swear words. That's the way that I talk. Right. And I've definitely gotten, you know, the messages from people of, well, you know, I love what you have to say, but you know, I can't listen to this because, you know, this language is offensive to me or, you know, whatever, but it acts as a filter, right? Like when you're willing to be like, this is who I am, people who are going to be turned off by that, like, okay, there's plenty of other stuff out there for you to read and listen to like, bye, you're not a good fit here. You know? Exactly. It, it like literally exactly because I curse like a sailor and that used to be one of the things I was really insecure about was just like, you know, uh, you know, people always say, well, if you curse all the time, um, you know, or uneducated people are the ones who curse all the time because they're not good with their word choice. Fuck that. Okay. I'm very educated. I went to college. I read books. It's completely fine. Don't worry about it. But it's just like sometimes, you know, again, I don't want to have to think about a filter because you're uncomfortable with my speech. Like, so what? Like, go somewhere if if you don't like it. Like, it is what it is. (laughs) Like, like, I'm not living for you, you know? And that's the thing that the internet is like, it's weird because it's like, the internet, people on the internet feel they have this entitlement that people who create content online are living for those people who are commenting. It's like, I'm not living my life for you. I'm living my life the way that I'm living it. I'm sharing it because I want to. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you can go somewhere else. I'm not living for you. I'm not living to please you. I'm living to express myself and those who like it are going to continue to like it. And that's it. So yeah, these days there's like this weird entitlement thing. Like you're supposed to do this for me, even though you do nothing for me. Like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) That idea of you know, I'm not living for you. That might be the truest thing I've heard in a really long time. Like, like a moment yeah. of pause of like, oh, yeah, like the, you're right. It is. It's so funny, too, especially when you create content online that, you know, mm-hmm. is available for free. Right. And obviously, like, as, mm-hmm. as you and I both do. And of course, you know, there's right. monetization models and things and we can talk about that. But that it's right. Yeah, there is 
everyone who comes across it wants it to be for them and are is can be I mean, and this, of course, isn't everyone, but it's funny people that get upset when something isn't for them. Right. But not everything is for everybody. Right. Like, right. 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 Exactly. Like it's 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 just. It's just strange. It's the internet is a weird place. It's a weird place. <laughs> it is a weird place. It's, it's, it is. It is. But it was funny because I was, um, whose interview was I listening to? I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying like, you know, at the end of the day, the internet is, although like everything is built on the internet, right? Like all of our information, all of our entertainment, like just everything is internet based. But at the end of the day, if you turned your phone off, the internet is no longer real. If you just disconnected your Wi-Fi, the internet no longer exists. So it's like, is the internet a reality? You know? So oh, yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's one of those kind of things where it's just like, and that's where I feel like people are losing touch. It's like they're making this thing that is solely dependent on electricity and like, wires and whatever the fuck goes on to make the internet work like they're so dependent on that that they've turned that into the reality when in all actuality it's not it's just another form of just way to entertain ourselves but everything is is built on that you know so it's it's strange it's it's a it's a real really weird dynamic the internet it is i mean and it's refreshing to hear that from someone else who also creates content on the internet right because it's yeah it's easy to feel like oh well i i can't say anything bad about this because this is my livelihood or my whatever but it, it's it is an interesting dynamic to be like well i really believe in this and it's a great way to spread a message and to connect with people but also like you said you just turn your phone off and then bye bye like that's not real anymore it's a strange kind of juxtaposition to inhabit yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely, for sure. So what's your big dream with your YouTube channel? What would you love to have happen? I would love for my channel to kind of be the the place where people can learn about disability, the place where fellow people of the disability community can come and have conversation have community and have understanding where we're learning and teaching each other. And at the same time, being the place where, you know, the content is authentic. It's not politically correct, but it's, it's, it's true. It's honest. And, um, and it's where people go. It almost, not exactly like a Google, but in that sense where it's like, oh, I want to learn. I, I, you know, got this coworker who's in a wheelchair and I really want to talk to her, but I don't know what to say. Like, where can I go to learn what to say? Like, I want my YouTube channel to be like the place where it's like, okay, she's in a wheelchair. She should know. Uh, let me see what she has to say about it. And then, you know, kind of go from there. So that's kind of like, as far as just the YouTube piece of it, that's where I would, where, would love for it to go. Which is why, like, if you read through my comments um, on my videos, it's very conversational, right? Like, people are very honest about how they feel as uh, fellow people with disabilities and some able-bodied people, you know, will comment what they comment. And everyone is kind of, 
going back and forth, having conversation about how they feel or, oh yeah, girl, I, I know that's happened to me too. And, and everything else. So I, I live for when I make a video and, and that happens in the comment section. Yeah, I found it really interesting. I think that YouTube is sort of notorious for like the worst comments on the internet, right? Like, and right. you're, and, and I mean, I'm sure that has happened to you, of course, like it has to everyone, but I was really kind of surprised and impressed by the positive and like very real talk nature of what was happening in the comments on your videos. Like you're definitely, you're obviously presenting something that's hitting like a real chord with people because there's real right. community happening there, which is not the case in a lot of YouTube situations. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, people will always, you know, say something about like haters and trolls and all this other stuff. Like one, I'm not concerned about any of them, but two, like they ain't hit my channel yet. And I don't know if maybe, you know, once my channel like officially becomes viral or whatever the case is that like, I know that it's coming, right? Like, Again, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not ignorant to know how the internet works. So I know that it's coming. I know it's going to happen. I know people are going to say what they're going to say. But like, I, again, I don't live for them. So, you know, I'm not here for it. And plus, what was actually very interesting is that when I did the BuzzFeed um, video, I had a conversation, you know, um, about how like I was kind of concerned. I'm like, man, like what these people are probably going to come at me. They're probably going to call me all types of hoes and sluts. Cause I'm talking about how he can get it and can't wait till he gets in this pussy and all this other stuff. But like nobody even said anything. And I was like this whole time I'm thinking the trolls are going to come at me about like my thoughts and my feelings and nobody had anything to say. And if anybody had something to say, the people, fellow disability community like immediately replied and was like no you still have like people use wheelchairs and can still stand it's okay like people do that all the time or like you know she's a woman she can feel this way if she wants to like so people came to bat for me that I was like oh shit I don't even have to explain myself so (laughs) yeah luckily I've been avoiding it but you know Again, like I said, I I know it's probably going to come, but I ain't worried about none of them people. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what you're saying before. Like, that's not who you're living for. That's not who you're creating your work for. Right. And so (laughs) sometimes easier said than done. Of course, like hurtful comments can be hurtful. But we also I've been thinking about this a lot that it's okay. It's okay to be hurt. Right. Like, it's okay to be affected. We're, you know, people with feelings. But also we can sort of choose to opt out of that. Right. Right. Like I can choose not to care that I'm or I don't it, it's of course like when mean when people are mean to you it doesn't feel good but right, I have had to kind of check myself on the amount of responsibility that I'm taking for my own feelings like I can stop obsessively reading that thing that made me feel upset right like, <laughs> I can like right, choose exactly. to do something else with my time right as opposed to beat myself up over the one negative thing amongst the like pile of amazing things right <laughs> exactly exactly and then a lot of times you know people are speaking out of ignorance anyway so like the best way to come back at them is just with intelligence and being like look let me break it down to you this is why your comment is stupid and it's ignorant and i'm gonna read you the filth as they say so yeah it's it's really yeah 
Yeah, we don't have to worry about those things. (laughs) And I feel like so much of your kind of tone and attitude and spunk in the videos like sort of does that too like I remember the 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 one video I don't remember which one it was but when you were talking about like yes people in a wheelchair like can still have sex or still sexual beings like there was just such a good like you weren't saying like shut up get out of my face with this but like it kind of felt that way in a good way in a good way to be like yes (laughs) yeah exactly yeah because that's literally what it is and 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 i've actually heard that before where like people will say it's like sometimes the way you say it just kind of already shuts down the haters before they could even say anything like you know to try and knock you down it's just like yeah because that's what it is it's like whatever like (laughs) so yeah it's 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 interesting i don't know my my attitude I, i guess i get it from my mama my mama she's the same kind of way like she'll shut something down before me and my brother or my sister could even like mention anything. And so it's like, all right, well, just leave mama alone right now. <laughs> She's in one of our moods. <laughs> so how do you balance doing this work with your full-time job? What does that look like? Oh gosh. Oof. It is difficult. It, it honestly is because, you know, I work full-time and because I don't drive, I use public transportation, which alone takes up another hour or two out of my day. Um, so when, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm out eight, 10 hours out of the day. Um, and then I come home and it's just like, I've been at work all day on the computer. I don't even want to look at a computer, but it's like, YouTube is the computer. (laughs) So it's like editing is a computer. So it's, it's, it's difficult, but I do my best to balance it. So it's like, I, come home from work. If there's anything that I need to work on as far as my YouTube, whether that's replying to comments or replying to emails or whatever, you know, I do that for at least an hour eat and then chill out for an hour and then go to bed. So it's really, um, difficult doing both. And then let's add the fact that I do have my own personal life and having to factor that in because I'm definitely not one of those. One of my main things I told myself when I um, noticed that my YouTube channel was just picking up some traction was that I would never allow my YouTube channel to make me stressed. I, I like that is like my number one thing. If I don't have the time to make an episode, I'm not going to make an episode. If that means I'm not going to be able to put up an episode for the next two, three weeks because every weekend I'm busy and that's the only time that I have to really record or edit or whatever the case is, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stress myself out about it because again, my YouTube is my purpose. So it's going to work for itself regardless. And so, um, but finding that balance because I love doing my YouTube. I love, 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 love doing my YouTube. Finding that balance between the two is or the three, because I want to add in my personal life, is a little difficult. But, you know, I find little pockets of time to be able to do it. And that at the end of the day, if I at least dedicate an hour or two to my YouTube, you know, throughout the week, then I feel like I've made progress. As long as I don't stop, I'm good. Yeah, it's really helpful for me to hear other people talk about their boundaries, right, around their work. Yeah. This idea of, you know, I'm not going to let this become stressful for me. It, it makes me, I mean, this is kind of a, a funny analogy, but it makes me remember um, 
my husband Paul when we eloped and when we were kind of planning that situation we were like okay here's the rule anything that feels stressful for more than 15 minutes is off the table like this is not going to be a stressful situation and I think the most stressful part of it was I wound up getting hair extensions and like finding the hair and doing it was a whole thing like this was the most stressful part of eloping <laughs> was hair extensions which I guess is fine but it's I think that's you know sort of a joking way to relate to what you were saying but this idea of yeah we have to have boundaries around you know okay I work I care about this and if I believe this is my purpose but that doesn't mean that I'm willing to not have a life for it, you know? Exactly, 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 exactly. Because, you know, having to have a life is important just for your emotional health, mental health, physical health. You have to be able to do a little bit of it all. And it's all just time management, you know? It's just do a little bit here. Again, the key is as long as you don't stop. As long as you don't stop. Now, I've had times where I've just gotten completely lazy. I'm like, I'm just not in the mood and I don't want to do it. And that's okay that I don't want to do it right now. But as long as I know I'm going to pick it back up and keep working on it again, whether that means just replying to comments is being productive, you know, replying to emails is productive. Um, You know, creating a post for my Instagram is productive. Like as long as I'm doing a little bit of something, I know that that everything else would just work itself out. Yeah. I mean, I also think that it's really important to, or what I'm hearing from what you're saying is like not getting caught up in someone else's rules of, you know, if you don't post this many times, like it's never going to be successful. Like none of that stuff is actually true, right? That if you're, what you're creating is great and you have a wonderful community and an audience and stuff, like they're still going to be there two weeks from now, right? Like putting out something shitty just to get something out there. I don't know. Like exactly. People, people will wait. Like I think that there's this kind of like stress about, I have to post Instagram every day. Otherwise people are going to forget about me. Like, to relax. It's fine, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Especially when all these tech geniuses are making all these algorithms anyways of what's going to land on your timeline. That is just like, you know what? It's it's fine. The people will be there. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. And especially if you're, like, not doing it, you know, like, if you're not doing it for good reason, then it's like, then it's really going to be okay. You know? So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the only thing that I always say is as long as you're consistent, again, like kind of that thing that I was just saying, as long as you're doing a little bit of something, you're being consistent in that way, then everything else is going to work itself out for sure. Yeah. So I know, obviously, you know, if if you have a full-time job, then it's not like you're doing this for the money, but I'm always curious about sort of the intersection of art and money. Like, is that your plan? If so, where does the money come from with something like this? You know, from my plan is to, um, be able because YouTube is my purpose. And I'm at the point where all I want to do is focus on my YouTube. Um, I do have to think about the money part of it, right? Because if I just completely drop my job, my YouTube isn't quite at the the place yet where I can do make that kind of decision. So, um, so yeah, so the, the money piece of it is important. I am, you know, I do try and find ways to where it's like, oh man, like, let me just figure out how I can, uh, be financially stable doing this. So I can put even more energy into it and become greater and better at it than I am now. Um, but I'm kind of, you know, just going along with it as things naturally are progressing. I'm, you know, following up on it. Um, so, so yeah. And for me, 
I've always learned that as long as you're doing what you love and you're being consistent at it, the money will come. Everything else falls into place. I have this huge thing actually in front of my bed when it says, when you do what you love, everything else falls into place. And that includes money. So I'm kind of like, that's kind of how I treat it. Like it's going to come when it's supposed to come, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to sit here and not do anything and act like it's still going to (laughs) come. Like you have to be doing something. Um, and being consistent somewhere or trying something new or trying to partner with brands um, in, in order for it to be profitable for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about when we were emailing this week, you mentioned um, something that you wanted to discuss was the importance of inclusion. And I'd really yes. love to hear more about that. Yes. Yeah, so one of the main reasons uh, for my YouTube channel uh, And not only just my YouTube, but just the reason why I like to express myself through my style, the reason why um, I am 100 percent with about, you know, my personality and who I am is because there isn't enough inclusion in media and print and, um, you know, just society period to the point where and when I say inclusion I'm literally talking all the way down to the fact that this building does not have an elevator or this building does not have ramps to get into all the way into why hasn't there ever been a model with a disability in a Victoria ad right like why everything between those two points you know um it's important for inclusion and I've learned or what I've witnessed, you know, just through other avenues of stuff is when things kind of go into an uproar, when you force yourself to be seen, when, when people are looking at you and hearing what you have to say, like this whole, you know, there's this whole thing about, um, how you can literally make a career off of being an influencer, like, since when was that ever a career option for anybody, you know? So this idea of becoming an influence word matters to enough people that these, you know, brands and companies will pay attention um, is, is, is important. And so I think it's important that people who create content that have disabilities and their content is about their disability, that we become influencers to push that level of inclusion. So that way it's like, oh shit, this person's in a wheelchair. They've showed up to my restaurant. I need to make sure that people in wheelchairs can get in. I need to make sure that there's a bathroom big enough. I need to make sure that as the manager of this retail store, that I don't use the disabled dressing room as my storage area that in fact that there will be customers that will come in in wheelchairs and would need this space like that level of inclusion needs to happen on a grand scale so that way the rest of society in the world will start to think about us even in the slightest bit to know like they have to do something because they want to include us and that it's only fair. It's a basic human civil right for us to be included in all of these spaces in these areas. So that's why um, inclusion, visibility and all those levels of things is important because again, although the ADA passed what like 20 something years ago, that don't mean that, 
the world changed as a result of it. Yeah, sure, they have a, a disabled dressing room, but they use that as their storage space. Now how am I supposed to try on clothes? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's those little those little subconscious, even things that people are doing that they're even unaware that they're doing that screams a person with a disability is invisible. And, and that's just not cool. So in, inclusion is incredibly important. And I really feel like because pop culture, media, all those kinds of things is what drives the society anyways, once that world becomes inclusive, I feel like it'll just trickle down into the reality without Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was going to be my next question. You know, what does inclusion look like in real life to you? So inclusion um, in real life looks like uh, going anywhere I want to go without having any troubles. Like I can go in the store because it's ground level. Great. I can go in this store and try on the clothes because that room was always and only open to people who look like me or people who move like me. Um, you know, I can I can go to the second floor of this club because there's an elevator or there's a lift. I can, you know, do do all of these things. I can live my life as a person without feeling insecure about who I am or feeling like I'm um, inconveniencing anyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing for me is like inclusion in the real world looks like I can live my life without feeling like I'm being inconvenienced or that I'm inconveniencing the next person just because I want to eat some food or I want to dance or I want to, you know what I mean? See this movie. So that, that's the, that's the, the biggest thing for sure. Yeah. I uh, reminds me of something that a friend of mine says, uh, again, around the idea of mental illness, but I think that it's still like, mm. completely relevant here. This idea that like, you're not a burden, you're a person, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and that's real. And that's real. And, and like you said, whether that's a person with a mental illness or physical illness, like it's literally, you know, we have to remember that we aren't a burden, that we are still humans first. And that, it's okay for us to stand up for ourselves and say, hey, this isn't fair. What you're doing is not right. And that's the area that I'm really trying to um, uh, become more confident in, where I can be confident enough to tell somebody's manager, uh, you know, this isn't right, right? Like, excuse me, sir, I'm outside of your restaurant. I would love to see how great your food is, but you don't want me in here because you didn't find a way for me to get in here. You're an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, like being confident enough to tell these people and say, this isn't right. And you need to check yourself for it. So, so yeah. And and I shouldn't feel like I'm an inconvenience because I know I'm not. I'm just, I just move differently because it's like, and the thing that's, that's frustrating about when, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because at the end of the day, I truly feel that it's no harm done on society or the able-bodied communities, you know, side, not all the time, but it's like, you know, that at any point in time in your life, you could be in my position. I didn't ask, I didn't do anything at 14 to cause myself or my body to start changing this way. So don't think that you're exempt from something happening to you too. 
don't think that you're exempt from something happening to your child or to your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or a loved one or a family member or whatever. Don't think that anybody is exempt from becoming a disabled person at all. So that's when it becomes like, that's when it becomes kind of hurtful in that way because when you do feel like you're being ignored and knowing that you've done nothing to really deserve to be in the position that you are and people are kind of so whimsical about not even being um, empathetic about it, it's like, uh, don't think for one second this can't happen to you too. And, you know, not that I'm wishing it upon anyone at all. I would never. But I'm just saying, like, you know, be empathetic about it. Don't be an asshole about it at all. So, yeah, that that's something to definitely keep in mind. No, I think that that's brilliantly said. I mean, there's so much like privilege, of course, in like right. ableist ways of thinking. Right. And just this, right. this it's almost like it becomes and I I mean, obviously not for all folks, but like almost like a like a morality thing. Right. Like, like right. oh, I'm doing everything right. This isn't going to happen to me. Like, mm, check yourself mm. a lot. Right. <laughs> exactly. 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 Or just because you you don't know anybody personally. Right. They're not in your general circle that um, that it doesn't exist. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's very existing and it can exist in your life and to yourself, um, as well. So yeah, just, just be mindful. That that's my biggest thing is just like, I just wish the world was just more mindful of others. You know, there's this thing where it's, oh, like, I always say like, it's okay. You know, everyone, you know, I feel like we're in this time where of course there, there's, equalities that need we need to be equals in so many different ways and in so many different ways we need to accept the fact that we're different and that it's okay to be different and it's okay to be ourselves you know um so yeah so i think when it comes to you know basic human and civil rights then yes we we do need to be equal like i need to be able to get in this store just as much as this person is able to or i need to be seen or i need to not get shot by a police officer just because i look this way and this person doesn't you know what i mean so it 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 all plays a factor but it's also okay that we're different and i think if everyone just chilled the fuck out (laughs) and again relaxed that you know it life would be be in a different place for sure. I love that. So before yeah. we start to wrap up, is there anything mm-hmm. that we haven't talked about so far in this conversation that you definitely wanted to talk about? You know what? I think we've hit like a lot of the 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 main points, you know, all all of, you know, I definitely want, you know, we hit on what the the purpose of sitting pretty is and um and, you know, just experiences and stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I think we've covered it all for sure. OK, so then the way that we end these are with what we call community questions. So it's nine okay. sort of rapid fiery questions that all the guests of this season are going to answer if you're down for nine random questions. I love it. These 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 are usually my favorite because I don't have time to think. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm totally. Um, what is your current- this is fun. This is like so fun. What is your current guilty pleasure? Ooh, current guilty pleasure. Um, well, okay, okay, guilty pleasure. Wow, that's a great question. Do I even have a guilty pleasure? Um, I don't. I don't know. 
Or maybe just uh, like something that like you know is going to make you feel really good, like kind of like an instant gratification-y like feel good thing. Oh, well, then that would be um, gelato. That is immediately I get some Talenti gelato and life is back to where it should be. <laughs> what flavor? <laughs> Ooh, uh, Southern butter pecan. Oh, okay. Oh, I love it. It's the best. Okay. So the next question, what's, what's one change that you've made in your life, maybe a habit or a lifestyle change or a relationship or career, something that was really tough at the time, but totally worth it in the end? Um, deciding to put a picture of myself in a wheelchair on my dating profiles, mm. on my online dating profiles. That was, that was the one. What helps you to stick with a long-term project or goal? Um, knowing what I want to come out of it as a result, like knowing what I want the results to be. Yeah. I'm kind of holding that in mind. I agree. That helps me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like as long as I know what the result is going to be, like I'll, I'll work on it forever. (laughs) What's something that you're not doing right now because you're afraid. Ooh, that's good. Um, that I'm not doing right now because I'm afraid. Um, Ooh, (laughs) okay. There's, there's, Okay. How am I going to say this? I'm okay. I'm just going to say it because I told myself 2017, I'm going to be fearless when it comes to dating. Um, something that I'm not doing because I'm afraid, um, is texting a guy that I'm dating. Um, like, cause I think he mentioned that today was his mom's birthday, but I'm not quite sure. And I'm afraid to text and act like I knew and then be wrong. So that's, <laughs> that's something specific. So I really hope maybe he doesn't listen to this until like <laughs> way after. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> what's something that a lot of people seem to do that you don't do on purpose? Oh, um, probably complain. Like I, yeah. It would, it would be to complain. Like I see a lot of people complaining about stuff that I'm like, I don't want to do that. And I do that on purpose. So, <laughs> so yeah, I would say complain. Oh, that's such a good answer. Um, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself five years ago? So if you could go back and talk to yourself five years ago, what advice would you give? Oh, don't trip. Like don't trip off of anything. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. You'll be all right. Just relax. You're going to be good. So yeah, don't, don't trip that (laughs) in a slang slang way. Don't trip off nothing. (laughs) When you look ahead at the next few months, what do you feel most excited about? Um, my 30th birthday, my, uh, just being 30 and what those first, you know, couple of months are going to be like knowing that I'm 30 and I'm like sexy as fuck. And I've, doing what I want to do and like, you know, just all of that stuff. I'm, I'm excited about being 30. Yeah. I I'll be 32 this summer. I was excited to turn 30 as well. I thought I was going to have a lot of feelings about it, but I decided that uh, women having bad feelings about aging is something I'm not going to participate in. So (laughs) yeah, Yeah, definitely not. 
Definitely not. Like, I feel like 30 is like the sexiest age be thus far. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready for it. Okay. So the next question is about books. Are there a couple books, any genre, any type Ooh. of book that have had a really big impact on you? Yes. The Alchemist. The Alchemist, I always say changed my life. When I read that book, I, <laughs> I was completely like, I, first of all, I read it all in one day. Um, and it was incredible. Like there's so many layers to the book. It, I always call it like, um, I always call it like a Bible story, right? Like one of those Bible parables where you're like learning a lesson, although exactly what they're saying isn't exactly what they're saying. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So the alchemist for sure. Yeah. I love that book too. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a mm -hmm. question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Mm, I would probably say, um, do what makes you happy. Like no matter whatever you're battling with, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're going through at the end of the day, always come back to the root of your confusion and say, do what makes you happy and then do that. I love it. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yes. Uh, the best way of connection is on Instagram or Twitter, which is the same handle at it, it's Lolo love I T S L O L O L O V E. And then of course on my YouTube, um, if you leave a comment, I will reply um, so yeah, my YouTube, youtube.com backslash sitting pretty Lolo. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Lolo, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This was so much fun. I love it. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Madeline. Hi, Madeline. Hi. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions where I get to put you in the hot seat and ask you things to get to know you better. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm excited. All right. What is your current guilty pleasure? Ooh. I know this sounds super basic, but I love LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel kind of bad about it. <laughs> like the sparkling water. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And that's the best answer ever. <laughs> Why is that a guilty pleasure? Um, I think it, I'm guilty about it because everyone else likes it. And so I feel like I shouldn't, but it's really good. And maybe I shouldn't feel guilty. And now I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> Love it. See, look at this. Therapy slash podcast outro. Yeah, exactly. um, what's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Mm. I would say homemade baked goods. Like that's what I grew up with. My mom's an excellent cook and I'm trying to learn myself. And um, definitely like after run, it's super satisfying to eat something like that. So yeah, homemade baked goods. 
Yeah, that's funny. My um, mom is not an excellent cook. I don't really remember her cooking pretty much anything. It's funny. I feel like we either try to emulate our parents or do the exact opposite. Like no one in my family knows why I like to cook so much. Like, where did you come from? (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. If you had an extra $100 and you had to spend it on something fun that's just for you, how would you spend it? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, probably traveling somewhere. So maybe like a night at somewhere up in the mountains. I live in Boulder, Colorado. So like getting away for the weekend is a big deal and I don't do it very often. So maybe, uh, yeah, a night in the mountains. Ooh, that sounds fun. I have only been to Boulder once, maybe twice, but it's super beautiful. Yeah. It's actually pretty similar to Bend. It was, yeah. It was one of the places we considered <laughs> minus that it's quite a bit more expensive. Yes. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> Although Bend is getting a lot more expensive now. So what do I know? I know. Yeah. Um, who is one of your favorite people to follow on social media? Hmm. Other than you. Oh. <laughs> um, let's see someone who's inspirational. I love following athletes that I think um, like present themselves as real people on social media, not just an athlete. So like Stephanie Howe or Lauren Fleshman, both other bend people, um, Gwen Jorgensen, who's a triathlete, just people that are humble and also like in this place of power and seeing that you can have both and be like an amazing, like 1% of the human race and also have humility. Mm, yeah, I love that. Also, it's funny. I mean, I, I know who Gwen is, obviously, but that the other two are both friends and past podcast guests. So, <laughs> yeah, yay for awesome women. Awesome. Yeah, you've got a good community going on there. <laughs> um, so, the last question: What's one of your favorite books, or a book that you feel like has had a big impact on you? I love David Foster Wallace, and so I took like a six-month road trip a couple years ago, and finally decided to read *Infinite Jest*, which is like this massive, intimidating book. It's like a thousand pages, and it's not straightforward, and the story is all over the place. So I took that time to like read that, and I think it took me like over a month, even when I was traveling. And um, I go back to it all the time. There's so many quotes in there, and it's—I don't know. Have you ever read David Foster Wallace? Um, no, actually, which is funny. As you were talking, I'm like, man, how is that someone who I'm super familiar with who they are and yet haven't read any of their work? Yeah, well, it can be kind of intimidating and it definitely was for me, but I'm so glad I did. And now I've been reading more of his work. So I would suggest it if you want to bite off a thousand page book. Hey, you know, I, I mean, last year, I think I read it was maybe seven or 800 pages of biography of Warren Buffett. Like I'm not above it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's worth it. (laughs) My it's, it's, I'm, it's always kind of a blessing and a curse whenever I ask people, you know, on the podcast about favorite books, as obviously, you know, that I do basically every single episode because then it's just my like list of things to read is longer and longer and longer. Oh my gosh. (sighs) I feel that I think I have like, I have an Evernote note that's just like a list of books to read. And I think it could last me my lifetime. (laughs) Oh yeah, I know. It's a good thing yep. that I have finally joined the library and saved some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share first why you decided to support the show and maybe what's been your favorite thing since then about being in the community. Yeah. Um, I grew up with parents who are both artists and in a way like what you're doing is art right you're like creating content from nothing and sharing it with the world and um 
So I just like value that really highly and think it's worth it to pay for it when I believe in it. And I saw my parents struggle sometimes to, um, make ends meet when they were like really passionate about their artwork. So I want to do that in any way I can. And I think the Patreon model is awesome because it's almost like a subscription and I can pay a little, like anyone can pay $8. It doesn't have to be a lot. So I love the model. Um, and what was your second question? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that's so nice also. And now I, my interview curiosity mind wants to ask like a thousand questions about your parents and upbringing, (laughs) but I will not do that with our small timeframe. Um, just, uh, something that you've enjoyed about being in the community or perhaps like a favorite piece of bonus content or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, I love the, the, I guess they're quarterly or monthly reflections that you do. Um, and like having a format for that. And I also read one of the um, like book club books, Just Mercy. And that was kind of cool because I got to see like a bunch of other people's reactions to books. And I feel like usually I read a book and then like, I want to go talk to everyone I know about it, but they haven't read it. (laughs) So it was my first experience of like being able to see what other people thought um, and have a conversation about it. So that's so, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that the book club has become this year, one of my favorite things. Like it's, it's something that I've never really successfully been a book club participating. It was either... I don't know, books that I wasn't interested in, or it was like such a thing, right? It was super structured. And I had wanted this kind of fun, casual, let's all read the book if we feel like it and have, you know, just kind of an easy conversation about it. And it's been awesome. It's been so fun the last couple of months. Yeah. And it's awesome because like you already have something to talk about with those people. So like, even if you gave out everyone's email addresses in your community or something, I wouldn't have something to start a conversation. And that's like a way to start a conversation with other people. So it's awesome. Yeah. And it's a way for us to move through this list of books, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) Well, I love that you were brave and joined me for this. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, and if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new fun stuff added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 